when you think about it, I am a soldier in the Lord's army, right? You know, by description in Scripture, I would be a soldier in God's army. And not only that, as a pastor, I'm actually an officer in God's army. An interesting analogy. And in a sense, that's kind of what we're talking about today because as a pastor, I'm an officer and I have a call of duty. I have pastoral duties that I'm responsible for. So Paul, who is this incredible pastor and missionary and apostle and statesman, he is writing a letter. He's writing a letter to Timothy, who is his protege. And Timothy is a young pastor, and he's essentially telling him, you're an officer in God's army, and you have a call to duty. You have pastoral duties that you are responsible for. And that's what I want to talk to you about now. I've talked to you about the qualifications for other leaders. I've talked to you about how to identify a healthy church. I've talked to you, as we saw last week, about you know, how, how you're supposed to deal with false prophets and false teachers that come in your midst. And a lot of that comes from you having authority, Timothy. You, you can't shy down. You can't back down. You have authority, and, and you need to exercise that. You need to exercise your pastoral duties. So if you are not a pastor today, you're dismissed. This has nothing to do with you. <laughs> it sounds like that, but there actually is more to it because you need to know what you're looking for in pastors. You need to know how to pray for us. You need to know how to hold us accountable. And the things we're going to be sharing about today are going to relate to you as well because there's a lot of things that relate to character as leaders and as people in, in Christ that we should all be trying to be more like Jesus. And so we'll learn some lessons from there too. Now, we're going to turn to 1 Timothy today, if you have your Bibles with you, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, and we'll start with verse 11. He says something very simple, very straightforward, something you might, a command you might give to an officer. He says, command and teach these things. Command and teach these things. These things I've been telling you to do, Timothy, as a pastor, I'm giving you instructions, you need to follow my instructions, command and teach these things. Command's a strong word. It's an authoritative word. Use your authority to tell people what to do. Teach them what they should do. Now, what does he base that on? Does that mean that I say jump and you say how high? Let's try that. Everybody stand. No. <laughs> and nobody would do it, right? So, but that's not because, and you shouldn't be doing it because that's really not what the passage is all about. What he's essentially telling him is this. Teach what you have been taught. Teach what I have taught you. Paul will say it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. He says, In the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust a reliable man who will be qualified to teach others also. So the things that I've taught you, I want you to teach other people so that they can teach other people. So, okay, well, where does Paul get his authority based from? Well, then you go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, where Paul tells us that all Scripture is God-breathed. And that, that takes us back to the, the Bible, and it points out that Paul, for centuries, 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy, for example, has been considered as Scripture. Peter, in his writings at the end of 2 Peter, he recognized Paul's writings as being scriptural. And it was understood 
that something that was scriptural was supernatural and that the Holy Spirit had written these things. Now, the Holy Spirit uses different personalities, different styles of writing, different languages, different cultures, and different histories, so it's important to understand the context that we're hearing. But basically, it's pretty straightforward. Most of the time, it's not as difficult as we sometimes try to make it. You know, it's, it's pretty straightforward, but it's from God, and we shouldn't subtract from it, and we shouldn't add from it. This book is supernatural. It's God's communication to us. So now look at it from this perspective. My authority is based on what the Bible says. If I ask you to do something, if I teach you something from the Scriptures that is from the Scriptures, is what the Bible says, then you ought to do it. But if I don't, then you shouldn't. And interesting, that's my authority base. And so you, therefore, need to know what the Bible's teaching, right? You need to continue to grow in your own understanding of the Bible so that you're not just doing what I teach you. I've heard things through the years where people have taught things and have come to me and said, well, this is what my pastor said, and it isn't really what the Bible says. And that happens a lot, more often than you'd like to think. And so you need to check and say, is it what the Bible says? When I teach you things, you should go home and read it on your own, maybe take notes and go back and say, now, is that correct? And what can I learn from it? I made a mistake once when I... No, more than once, right? <laughs> you guys... Some people are laughing because you people that pointed it out to me. No. Uh, but but I, I've done that. And I've, I've actually gone on on Facebook before and said, hey, I've messed up. I missed something because you're going to do that. Um, James chapter 3 verse 1 says, not many of us would presume to be teachers because we'll be more strictly judged. To whom more is given, more is expected. So it's a scary place to be in my position. And for any of you that do any teaching, because, you know, you're held accountable to, by God ultimately on that. So what we Primarily, I mean, what we want you to do is, is pray for us and hold us up. And, and our authority, it's like if, if we get up here, any one of us as pastors, and he's speaking probably primarily to Timothy as sort of, for all intents and purposes, the lead pastor, but, but this would relate to all of us as pastors. Whenever we speak to you, hopefully, and anytime you go and hear anybody speak, you should be able to tell, has this person studied their material? Are they, do they believe what they're saying? Are they sincere? Is this real for them? And does it agree with what the Bible teaches? And if those things are true, then that, that's good stuff. That's what, that's what we want to look for. And that's the kind of stuff we can follow. So for you, pray for us. Pray a lot for us because this is a kind of scary position to be in sometimes. And also, not only pray for us, but think about things. You know, if there's things that, that you don't understand, come and talk to me about it or email me about it. Um, if you have questions, if you think that there's something may not be right, come and talk to me about it. That's helpful. I have people talk to me more about my, the, the problems they have with my illustrations than they have with my, <laughs> my messages sometimes, uh, the messages as a whole or the scripture. But either way, come and talk about those things because we need to interact, and that's really helpful to interact and learn from each other um, as we do that. And then apply it. Take what I say on Sunday mornings or what the other guys say or even things that you may listen to another person, and when you learn from it, don't just acquire the knowledge, but then you know, write down, go back, check the scriptures, and say, hey, this is really true. 
what should I now do? How can I grow in my relationship with the Lord as a result of it? So that's the first thing he says to pastors. The next thing he says um, is found in verse 12. He says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and life, in love, in faith, and in purity. At first, it seems like the, the main point of this verse is not to look down on somebody because they're young. But I would say that really that's an illustration of the main point. The main point is set an example by your life. And that's terrifying. Set an example by your life because often your life speaks more than your words, doesn't it? He's saying basically walk your talk, Timothy. Walk your talk. Now, he gives an illustration. He says, people will put you down for various reasons, and when they put you down and when they doubt you, walk your talk. One of the reasons that he gives, one of the illustrations he gives that Timothy was running into, a lot of people, especially in the culture at that time, would really be putting him down because of his age. How old was Timothy? The word, the Greek word used for young means that he was under 40. So we know he's under 40, and if we look back, we look at Timothy's life, and it's pretty much believed that he was a teenager um, when he began this journey with Paul. And based on the things that are said at that time, he was quite young. And so if you start back in his little village of Lystra where he started following Paul, you can kind of gauge it. That's in Acts 16, and historians have taken it, and because of earmarks, different people that are named and different timings, you can pretty, be pretty accurate that it's about 15 years later. So Timothy's probably in his early 30s. Uh, so he was considered young in his day, and even young by today's standards, I suppose. Uh, most of our guys are, are in their 30s. Um, I, think, I think we all are. Um, so, but, but you know what's interesting about that is I think the point here is not so much youthfulness, but I think in God's perspective... Age is relative. Age is really relative. Uh, what I mean by that is I have known 30-year-olds that are much more mature spiritually than 60-year-olds. For that matter, I've known 9-year-olds that were more mature than 90-year-olds. And so it all really depends on the person. And uh, in different cultures at different times, I remember when I was a young pastor, they used to always say you had to be 45 to be a lead pastor. They would hardly even take, you couldn't even send in an application if you weren't over 45 years of age. Today, you have to be under 35. You know, it's, there's been a big shift. And so now there's this youthful shift. And I think it's a typical of how our culture tends to swing to the extremes. It really, the age is not what's most important. Sometimes it's it's important within the context of the congregation if you have a younger congregation or older congregation. But, but what really matters is the maturity of the individual. And there's always going to be people in this church that are older and wiser than me and may know their Bible better than me. But the question you have to ask is, has this person been called to this ministry? Do they have gifts in leadership and teaching? And if those things are true, then that's the person who's supposed to lead and you're supposed to respect that and follow them. And so that would be true with all four of us, regardless of age. If we're called to this and gifted in our calling and we have integrity um, and we're, trying, we're growing, then you need to follow us. We're not perfect, um, and that's, that's always the balance here is that nobody's really perfect, but 
they're growing, hopefully, in their relationship with the Lord. And then he gets right into that whole idea, perfect. And he says, set an example um, through your behavior. Wow. That's a pretty interesting thing. It's interesting because he says, you, you set an example in speech and in life, and then at the end he says, you set an example in faith and purity. This is all in, in verse 12. But notice that in between speech and life and faith and purity is love. And one scholar has said that love kind of pulls the two together. The idea is that love is the most important thing about how we should behave. We should love God and we should love others in our life. Uh, those are the two things that kind of connect it all. Now, having said that, he looks at both sides. He says um, they, that they should set an example through speech and in life, which means through word and conduct. The way the pastor talks, the way they behave. Does he use crass, foul language? Is he known for his temper and getting angry? Is he short-tempered with people? Is he snippet people? Is he arrogant? Does he... You know, is he mean to waitresses, you know, in the restaurant? Uh, is he known for that kind of behavior? Does he beat up on people? Does he pick on people? Is he always criticizing people, always putting people down? Always, you know, these are behaviors that shouldn't be true of a pastor. On the other side, purity and faith means that he's somebody who, who loves the Lord, you know, who spends time in the Bible, who prays, who has faith in God, who trusts God for big things are these things that are going to be true of the pastor. They should be. Now, in the old days, we used to put pressure on pastors to be a certain way. They used to, it was important that they were impeccably dressed, rigid straight, helped if they had a deep voice, and very aloof. They, they were almost put in this pedestal, and they had to stay there, and people had to look up to them. And the problem was, they started falling. People started finding out. They, they thought they were these perfect guys, and they found out they weren't. They were real. They were just real people. So today we've sort of swung this pendulum, and we have a lot of people that go around as sort of pious slobs. You know, they kind of come, and they don't dress nice, and they're kind of slobby, and they say, look at me. I'm a pastor, and I'm as bad as you are. So just be lousy like I am. And they use crass language, and they shock people, and they say, isn't it cool, the freedom I have in Christ, you know? And... And once again, we have that pendulum swing that goes back and forth. And I think, for me, the, the answer is probably somewhere in the middle. God want, doesn't want a pastor who thinks he's perfect or has to try to be that way. He wants a pastor who's real, who's honest, who's unpretentious, who's down to earth, who's, who's a real person, flesh and blood. Um, somebody who can own up to mistakes he makes, somebody who understands that he's not, you know, you understand they have their limitations in certain areas. They're not good in everything, and that's who they are, and they have their flaws. But at the same time, somebody who is striving after a God, who loves Jesus Christ more than anything else in his life, and is trying to be like him, and is working in that direction, and is growing and maturing, and trying to be a good example for everybody else to follow. That's what you try to be. Now, I try to be that, and here's the catch, the the old saying is, as the leaders go, so go the people. You know what that means? That means that as I am the primary leader, and you hear me every Sunday morning, that you're going to become like me. Isn't that scary? <laughs> and it's scary for me too. 
because I don't really want you to become like me. Paul put it this way. He said, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. I want you to be like Jesus Christ. And to the degree that I am like Jesus Christ, when I behave like Jesus, then I want you to be that way. But when I don't, I don't want you to be that way. And so you have to be you know, very careful of that in your own lives to follow Jesus in me and not follow me. Um, people sometimes ask, what is it like to be a pastor? I mean, you must wake up a lot in the evenings with people calling you in for emergencies and things. I don't really have that happen very often. Um, I, I think part of it is that we have in our church, people are in small groups, we all take care of each other. And I have other pastors, the other pastors here, we all work together as a team. We all take care of other people. So it's not like I'm being overloaded with things. We have some seasons are worse than other seasons. I've had some heavy times through the years. But I'll tell you what's really more difficult is that I know that I don't really have hours. My job is 24-7. Every minute, I'm being called to try to live like Jesus and try to be an example. You know, talk about living in a fishbowl. I live in a fishbowl. I walk out and you see me and people are watching me. You know, people are watching everything you do. You hear people talking behind your back. Well, there goes Ron. He's the pastor, you know. And, and they, they want to know. So that, and that can be heavy. But you know what? To a smaller degree, really, all of you are in a fishbowl. And it's actually a good thing for people to know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The best ministry you can have in your kids' lives is not just telling them about Jesus, but living it. Because if you don't walk your talk, nobody knows it better than your children. So we've got to walk our talk. And if you tell your people at work that you know the Lord, they will watch you. And you tell the people in school, they will watch you. The best accountability partner I ever had was my non-Christian roommate in college. He would frequently remind me that I was not behaving like Christ. <laughs> Usually to his benefit. Um, but that, that's a great thing to let people know. And so we're all being watched in whatever we do in life. And we all have to, to think about that. And we all need to be praying for each other, that we can do the best we can. We're going to fail. We're going to mess up. We're going to make mistakes. I get that and I understand that, but that doesn't mean that we should still keep trying to grow and progress, as we'll see as we go a little bit further on here. Now, the next thing he says is that you set an example through your public ministry and through your gift, gifting. You set an example through those things too. So he gets into your... Um, it gets into public ministry here. He says, until I come, so he's thinking about coming later. He says, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. So he's getting into his public ministry now. Now, what he's talking about is reading Scripture. And in the early Jewish synagogues and in the early churches, Christian churches, they would read the Scripture every Sunday morning, every Lord's Day, or every Sabbath, according to the, uh, if you go back to the, the Jewish synagogue. And they'd bring out a scroll, and they'd unwind it, and they would read the Old Testament Scriptures. Well, today we have the New Testament Scriptures as well. And this passage isn't saying that you have to read the Scriptures in any prescribed way, just saying that they did that. But we should be dealing with the Scriptures every time we get together. 
And so that's what we do. We're reading through passages even today. And then he says that you should preach and teach. What's the difference between preaching and teaching? Do you ever think about it? Why don't you just say one of them? It would save some space, right? So why does they always say preaching and teaching or teaching and preaching? And the answer to that is one of those that I just don't know really for sure. I've wondered that myself. Um, But as I've looked through it and I've studied things, I think the best answer I have is that Preaching is more, of, more, pro, more prophecy, not predicting, but most prophecy is not about predictions, but just kind of, thus saith the Lord. This is what God says. It's, it's more exhortative. It's more, you know, you got to go do this. It's more convicting usually. Um, go at it and, and sometimes can be almost in your face a little bit. Um, on the other hand, teaching is more where you take things that may be a little bit more difficult, make them really clear and concise, and then help people know how they can apply them. And so they kind of go back and forth. And if you look at some people like today, you might think of maybe more of a Francis Chan as more of a prophet these days. Billy Graham, in some ways, was more of a prophet, really, although he talked about himself being an evangelist. Um, I, I think of T. Um, Farrar, those that were at the men's retreat a couple years ago, very much of a prophet in style, teaching uh, more of maybe a Matt Chandler today, or, or we think of Chuck Swindoll or Chuck Smith, you know, they're more teachers. But the truth is, they, they kind of overlap, don't they, when you start trying to think about it. And I know in my own ministry, when I was younger, it seems like I was more of a preacher. As I've gotten older, I'm more of a teacher, but it depends on the day. Some days I'm more one than the other. So there's a mixing of them. I think that's why they put them together. Usually if you do one, you do the other. There's kind of a mix between the two. And so he says, Timothy, he says you shouldn't neglect your gift. And within the context, I think what he's saying is, Timothy, you've got a gift for preaching and teaching. Don't neglect it. And there was a time, we talked about this earlier, when we were talking about 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, where he said, Timothy, remember when you became a pastor. What did they do to say you were a pastor? They didn't have you stand with your hand on the Bible and raise your hand and have somebody come in and swear you in. What they did is they got around you in a circle, and those that were leaders in the church, the elders put their hands on you, and they began to pray for you. And they probably, before they prayed, even began to talk to him. And they said, Timothy, we all affirm, we've heard you preach. We've heard you teach. You've got a gift, young man. You need to use this gift of preaching and teaching in your ministry. And we pray that God will use this gift in a powerful way in your life. And Paul says, remember that day. That was one of the most significant days in your life, Timothy. And you know that people see this gift in you. You know you've been called as a leader and as a pastor and a teacher in this church. Don't forget it. Hang on to what God has done in your life. And never cease to use the gift that he's given you. Paul says later to all of us in in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, actually probably at an earlier writing, uh, Ephesians 2, verse 10, he says that you, meaning all of us, are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. Everybody in this room has been gifted by God, according to other passages in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Each person has unique gifts that other people do not have. You have your own unique combination that enables you to do things other people can't do. And God is calling you to use your gifts for him. Not just pastors, but whatever your gifting is. God doesn't, he doesn't 
you know, compare us. It isn't like he compares us with each other. He compares you against yourself. He doesn't say, Ron's a pastor, so he's a preacher, so he's more important than you. He says, he has to answer to me for his gift. I've given him his. You answer to me for your gift. What are you doing with yours? And there are needs, you know, like you look at the church, in our particular church, the church that you're in, what, how can you serve? I mean, if you like people, if you are friendly, if you, um, you know, are, are a servant, you, you can use, you can serve in our, in our welcome ministry. You can go talk to Clifton and serve in our welcome ministry. Um, if you are gifted in music, if you like to sing or play an instrument, there's a, there's a gifted opportunity for you there. If you want to just take care of the, the screens and the sound system, those are pretty simple things. Uh, somebody who just likes to serve and help out can serve in that area. If you like to tear things down, pick things up, you're mechanically gifted or you're good at serving and, you know, you can do the setup. You like to work with kids. Uh, and let me say this. If you have had a kid, that is a gift. And if that kid is under five years of age, they're under kidney garden, I'll be frank with you. This is a conviction I've had for a long time. Take care of your kids on Sunday morning. Don't let other people take care of them. If you're going to come here regularly, you need to sign up and you need to rotate. I mean, it just is. You had the kid. <laughs> Don't expect us to take care of them. Okay, let's all take, if we all take, you know, it's like that many hands makes little work deal. Everybody gets in on it. Nobody ends up working that much. So everybody takes care of that. Now, as the kids get older, we need people that are more gifted in teaching. But we have a curriculum that we can work with that. So anybody, you know, can do that probably. Some of you will be more inclined to do that. And, but we would encourage you to all get involved in teaching kids in some way. I used to teach kids before I had kids. My wife and I used to do that in Sunday school night. Wife still does that, helps out in different areas at times. So, you know, figure out where you fit. And there will be seasons in your life where you may do that and seasons when you don't. Just figure out what works for you. Um, junior high, high school, you know, I mean, you can work your way up. Where do you fit? Working with kids at what age? Or maybe uh, you, you have ministry. Really, everybody should be in a small group. If you're in a small group, some people will be leading those small groups. And some of you are good at that. Some of you really like to facilitate discussions and lead those things. They're just great for those things. You can begin to see where we're going with this. Everybody has different stuff. You can do things outside of the church. We have a bunch of people here that are involved with the uh, Christian Motorcycle Association. A bunch of our people are. And that's a powerful ministry. And it touches a lot of different lives. They just go out and they minister to pikers and they help them. And they do a lot of wonderful things. There may be some ministry like that that God is calling you to be involved in. And certainly whatever your job is, if you're working with people, whether you're in management of some sort, whether you're, you're in Medicaid, medical field or in the mechanical field or whatever it is that you do, teaching, whatever it is you do in some way, shape, or form, you're probably taking care of people and ministering to people and using your gifts to do that. So that becomes a ministry. So we need to think of ourselves as all being in ministry and using the gifts that God has given us. And finally, he says, uh, in verse 15, he says, be, be diligent in these matters, uh, this last paragraph, be diligent in these matters, give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. I want to stop there, though, first. Be diligent in these matters. Be whole, do them wholly. In other words, do everything you can, everything I've just taught you, Timothy. You know, all this stuff about setting an example by your behavior and speaking with authority, teaching what I have taught you. Boy, really do these deals. 
Make this, this is serious stuff, Timothy. Make sure you do them. Hold on to them with all of your heart. Why? So that you will progress, so that you will continue to grow. There's nothing more heartening when you hear a pastor say, I learned something new today. This really convicts me. I'm still growing in my relationship with the Lord. So we all need to be growing and progressing in our relationship with the Lord. I mean, there's a lot of people that paid a lot of money to go down and watch the baseball players finish up spring training because they want to see, oh, I saw that prospect when he was nobody, and I saw him grow. Um, we need to be doing that with each other. There's a few things more thrilling in the Christian life than to see somebody come to know the Lord and see them grow in their relationship with the Lord. New believers, as they grow and they get involved, they start joining, they join a small group, they um, help out in you know, children's or whatever. They help out in some kind of ministry. They get involved in ministry teams. You know, that's what we, we, it's, when we talk about you serving, we try to get people on teams and they're working together and we see them growing. And next thing you know, they're really actively involved and they're leading a small group and they're leading a team and, and they're being discipled and they're growing and they're becoming leaders in the church and elders. And maybe some of them grow up and, you know, you have a kid that grows up and next thing you know, they're a pastor. One of the kids that we, I remember one of the first kids that we led in, a, in um, children's ministry is now an elder in that church. Kind of a weird thing. You know, started as a kid and grew up and became an elder in his church. It's a, you know, you think, I didn't think about that at the time. Uh, I can't even, couldn't even imagine it. But, you know, you can have an impact on people all the way through. And so that's really exciting. You should look for that in us too and pray for us that we're progressing. I've seen pastors that have just flattened out. They just kind of stopped. And there's no more, they just kind of lose their, they lose the, the proverbial eye of the tiger. You know, they're not, they're not fighting anymore. They're out of the battle. And that's a sad thing. I don't ever want to get there. And that's kind of segues into his last statement. He says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, we know that you can't save people by yourself. You can't save yourself and hear it by yourself. But I think what he's, he has to say means more than that. He says this. Live your life well and live it according to the Bible. All the things I've told you, do it. And here's the key. Keep on doing it. The word persevere literally means to stay in it. Paul in Romans chapter 5 verses 1 through 5 says that when you go through sufferings and hardships in your life, stay in it. Hang on to the Lord because if you hang on to the Lord during your hard times, they'll produce character in your life. They'll help you grow as a person. Pastors, you're going to go through hard times. People, you're going to go through hard times. Everybody is. And as we go through the ups and downs, persevere and hang on and never let go of the hand of Jesus Christ. Keep hanging on. Because if you do, in the end, your life is going to produce people coming, people are going to come to know the Lord because of your life more than the one time you preach to them. And if you don't, people will be turned away from the Lord. We can think of some examples, can't we? Look at Billy Graham's life. I think his life has impacted more people than his words. Uh, you consider people like Chuck Swindoll. We mentioned him earlier. He's been faithful, man of integrity. Think of people recently going to the Lord. Howard Hendricks, one of my favorite teachers, 
incredible man of God who trained so many pastors. Uh, you think of people like uh, Ray Stedman years ago in the Bay Area. Godly man. I knew people that knew him. Just a man of... The book written about him is called A Man of Integrity. What more could you say about a man? Now, let's not... We don't have to mention the others because you know them right away. The ones who have fallen, right? The ones who have crashed and burned and have been a disgrace and have ruined it because they didn't persevere. And it doesn't have to be pastors because if you go to a memorial and that person has walked with the Lord... What kind of impact does that have on people's lives? You can really tell the difference. I want to be that kind of man. Hmm? Do you want to be that kind of person? I mean, what's, what's most important in the end? Did you walk with God your whole life? I mean, I can't do that on my own, but I'm on my knees begging that I will be every day. I want you to pray for me. And I'm praying for you. I can't, there's a lot of you to pray for, but I try regularly to pray for you guys. You all mean a lot to me. And the the thing that I would want more than anything else is two things for you. One, that you would come into a relationship with Jesus. And two, that you would live for him, with him daily to the day he calls you home. To the day he calls you home. Because we're all going to have to face him one day right? And I want that to be a joyous occasion when I see his face. Paul put it this way later, just before he was killed. Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. I want to be able to say that. And I want you to, too. So let's make that our goal, to fight the good fight, to finish the course, and to keep the faith. You join me in prayer? Father, it's uh, such a privilege to know you personally. There's nothing greater than that. And Lord, there's nothing more fulfilling, more enjoyable, more wonderful than to walk with you. And yet we know that we're constantly being tempted, as we saw last week, to go the wrong way. We pray that you would protect us but we pray that each of us would seek you with all of our heart, minds, and souls, trusting that as we follow you, that you will lead us to do what you would have us do. Lord, help us each to help each other to finish this race strong. And Lord, I pray for those that don't know you, that as they may begin, that this might be the beginning day for them today, that they'd come and talk with us um, if they're interested in coming to know you personally and becoming part of beginning this race today with us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Mm-hmm.